0: Alright, so Romans chapter 12 is where we're at. we got handouts going out in the back there, but open up your Bibles and we'll get going here. Remember that in between Romans chapter 11 and Romans chapter 12, we had a pretty sharp transition by the Apostle Paul moving from doctrine and his really uh, pouring out this doctrine, laying this foundation, and then he moves into practical application in chapters 12 and following. So really what... Paul has been wanting to get to this whole time is this practical application. He's just been laying the the groundwork in the first 11 chapters. And those are the chapters that we often think of when we think of Romans because they are so rich in doctrine and theology. And it's been said that if we didn't have any other book in our Bible except for the book of Romans, we would have every doctrine that is vital to uh, Orthodox Christianity. We would have everything we need just from this book. But uh, let's keep in mind that what he was really wanting to get to and focusing on were these last chapters on application, wanting his uh, his fellow believers in Rome to really embrace each other, to live out this Christian life, this Christian gospel. Uh, so a few weeks ago, we looked at the introduction to this, where we see these very familiar uh, verses talking about not, being conformed to the world, but being transformed in the renewing of our mind. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, spiritual gifts and the different spiritual gifting that God has given to His church, to so the people within His church, so they can uniquely bless the church. And then last week, we got hit with just a ton of imperatives. Paul saying, You should do this, you should not do this, this is how you live. In verses 9 through 13, uh, just one after another. Um, talking, in fact, about one another in verse 10, and being devoted to one another, brotherly love, not lagging behind in diligence, rejoicing in hope, just uh, imperative after imperative. We're going to pick up in that same kind of flow of thought where Paul is telling the church how they ought to live. Again, the practical application of all the theology that he's already laid out for us. And so we're going to be picking up this morning in verse 14, Verse 14, where Paul says, bless those who who persecute you bless and do not curse and for those of us who have been maybe in the church for a while those of us who are familiar with Romans and uh, even first Peter and James and this kind of language this might just be commonplace to us just hearing this but if we really stop and think how radical this is in the eyes of the world in in reality that we would bless those who persecute you that is absolutely counterintuitive that is not how we act by nature to bless those who are coming up against us to bless and not curse that is not the natural way of man and this isn't something that is unique or original to paul Um, and i want to go back and look at what our lord said in luke and next week, we're going to spend some time in Matthew 5, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. But I want to go to the parallel passage this morning in Luke chapter 6, as we look at um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Plain and see what he says about this issue of blessing those who persecute you. So Matthew, or Luke rather six twenty-seven through 36. Is there somebody out there who would like to read that for us? All right, Rex has got it. You got it. Nope. Luke 6, 27 through 36. Yep. Anybody else there? All right, go ahead, Logan. 27 to 36. But I say to you who here love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek. For the other also and from the one who takes away your clothes do not withhold your tunic either give to everyone who begs from you and from the one who takes away your goods do not demand them back and as you wish that others would do to you, you do so to them if you love those who love you what benefit is that to you? for even sinners love those who love them and if you do good to those who do good to you what benefit is that to you for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to give back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind to them, grateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is. All right, thank you. So again, we see how counterintuitive this is, how countercultural this is. That When somebody uh, blesses you, or rather, somebody curses you, you bless them. Same concept that we see here, uh, to love your enemies and to do good to those who hate you. Uh, that is something that is absolutely a mark of a Christian. That's not something that we see in the world. This was revolutionary for this time for for. Anytime because it's so against our nature. Remember, Paul in Romans 7 says, I do what I don't want to do, and that which I want to do, I, I can't do, because he realized the struggle, that his natural man had this propensity to sin, had this propensity to return evil for evil, to do these very things that Jesus comes on the scene, and he is telling people to do the, the very opposite of what our nature tells us to do. And again, in the... Um, in the other passage in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, Jesus goes through and he says, you've heard it said, um, you you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. Um, And then he says, but I tell you. And there Jesus isn't uh, trying to one-up the law. I think a lot of people have that misunderstanding. I had that misunderstanding for many years that Jesus was coming up and he was adding to the law. (coughs) And he was Uh, taking it a a step further so he wasn't upping the standard but he was really unpacking the law and helping us to realize that what Jesus wants uh, for our personal relationships and how we ought to operate in our personal relationships is different from the standard that is set in the Old Testament that's something that uh, again we'll get into a little bit next week but it's not something that was ever meant for us to use in our personal relationships that was meant for the judicial system and so Jesus is coming and laying out The standard for how we ought to live in our personal relationships. We see that in verse 29 whoever hits you on the cheek, we are to offer him the other also. Again, another misunderstanding about this passage. A lot of people think that Jesus is here promoting a kind of uh, extra passivism that we are just supposed to lay down and let people walk over us and that's the, the Christian type thing to do but really what he's saying is that when somebody shames you we need to uh, not let that shame drive our motivation but we need to look past that shame we need to love them in spite of that shame uh, epic epic Man, epictetus he was a Greek philosopher, and he grew up as a a slave, and he said that it's better to be beaten by your master than to be backhanded by him, which is just a a mark of shame. It doesn't really take a whole lot of effort to backhand somebody, but it's a slap in the face, literally, right? It's mocking them. It is uh, humiliating and dehumanizing. (coughs) And he was actually beaten by his master when he was young. Uh, Origen, the early church father, he said that his master broke his leg when he was young and he left him forever disabled for the rest of his life. And then he later later says, well, I'd rather be beaten by my master than backhanded because that just came with that much shame and dishonor and disgrace. But Jesus says that we shouldn't be driven by that shame, by that dishonor, by that disgrace, but rather we should um, embrace it in um, the sake of love, so that we could bless those who persecute us. Uh, looking down at verse 31, uh, we're in Luke 6 right now. Um, we're going to get back into our main passage, Romans 12, but we're looking at Luke 6:31, where Jesus again comes on the scene. He says, treat others the same way that you want them to treat you. Now for a long time before this, there were many sayings and Uh, lifestyles that were going around that said don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you so kind of the inverse of this, the negative um, aspect of this so you don't want to be backhanded right? so you don't go around backhanding somebody else and that was embraced to Uh, some degree. But again, Jesus comes on the scene. He ups the ante. He says, not only do you not do to other people what you don't want them to do to you, but you do to other people what you want them to do to you. You want to be blessed. You want to be encouraged. You want to be uplifted. Um, Those are the things that we're supposed to do to other people. That's how we are to treat other people. We are to bless those who persecute us. Bless and do not curse. Um, when, When we look at Again, this passage and the other passage, we see aspects of the law, and we think to ourselves, uh, being New Testament Christians, well, this is not for us, right? Jumping back into Romans, um, we can go back to Romans 3.28. In Romans 3.28, Paul says, uh, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So we don't get to Christ. We don't Embraces salvation because we observe the law, but it's apart from observing the law that we are justified. Later on in verse five of chapter four, he says that um, the man to the man who does not work, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. So it's not something that we have to work for or we have to earn. Um, we see even a little bit later in chapter six that we as believers are not under the law, but we are under grace. This. However, doesn't mean that we are a lawless people. A lot of people will take those ideas and those, uh, again, foundational doctrinal points in the early parts of Romans, and they'll say, okay, well, this law is um, not for us. We're not under this law. We are Christians by faith and by the grace of Christ alone, which is true. But that doesn't mean that we are antinomian, that we are against law, or that we are Uh, somehow completely autonomous that we are self-governed that uh, we have no law but ourselves but rather we are under the, as James would say, the perfect law of liberty Right, that uh, we have this command to love our neighbor as we love ourselves this isn't something we do for our salvation but this is part of our sanctification that because we are believers, because we are Christians and we are changed by Christ we Embrace this perfect law of liberty or as Paul puts it in Galatians the the law of Christ Um, Logan sent me a text this morning about the Moonies we're talking about the Moonies this kind of weird cultish group Um, I'm trying to pull it up on my phone but it's not pulling up and uh, in this text I want to just read to you what they say They say, if you can love one person, God's love will be there in proportion to the depth and size of that love. So they say, you love somebody else, and then God's love will be there afterwards. If you can love many people like this, God's love will come in proportion to the greatness of that love, to the depth of that love. Again, in this wrong thinking, God is kind of responding to the love that we um, pour out on somebody else says this next sentence starts off good people anytime you hear good people red flag should go up right because none is good not even one but it says good people must be able to win others not in such a way as to conquer them but to love them and to bring them into a greater harmony and unity now that sounds really good but again that's just kind of flip-flopped we love because Christ first loved us, right? We love in response. And we don't love for salvation, but we love out of our sanctification. And that's what the, the perfect law of liberty is, that we love God and we love others, right? That's a, the first and the second greatest command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so uh, while we are not, um, again, against the law, and we are not self-governed. We do recognize that uh, there is a, a perfect law of liberty that we operate under. We don't operate under the mosaic law. But um, what Paul is saying here in Romans 12:14, when he says, "Bless those who persecute you; bless and do not curse," it is better to be demeaned and uh, dishonored than it is to retaliate. That is not how we are to operate, as the Old Testament mosaic law did. So, thinking on that, um, those who embrace that demeaning, that disgracefulness, rather than retaliating, can you think of any examples from your Bible of people who did that? Who did that well? Maybe who did that poorly? (laughs) Jerry says Jesus, going straight to the trump card. Yes, Jerry, (laughs) Jesus is the ultimate example of that right any other examples in scripture of those who blessed rather than persecuted stephen right in Acts seven in the same manner of as christ and he said father forgive them just as christ himself said father forgive them Uh, we can look in the old testament we can look at poor examples good examples there are many examples of people who did this well and did this poorly uh, but as you said Jesus is by far the the greatest example of somebody who has done this and i have written down in your notes that passage in first peter chapter 2 will somebody read that passage for us about jesus and how he did this so well go ahead mike where you have been Paul? Amen. What a what an amazing thing that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, while on the cross, the creator of these men who were beating and crucifying him, being reviled, he did not revile. And Peter says that in doing so, Christ has set for us an example, that this is our purpose to suffer just as he suffered, um, that we are to bless those who persecute you. Uh no greater example than Christ and how he was able to do that uh, completely otherworldly action that he now enables us as believers to do, to bless those who persecute us. Any other thoughts on verse 14 before we move on? All right. In verse 15. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, before we even really get into the meat of this we have to realize that this presupposes that we are going to be involved in one another's lives if we're going to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep we are going to know when somebody else is rejoicing or when somebody else is weeping we're going to know when somebody else is having a baby or when somebody else is getting married or when they're struggling with some kind of health issue or when they have lost somebody who's close to them. We're going to be intimately involved with one another's life. And that's what this verse presupposes, that we're going to fellowship together, that there's going to be a, a unity and a, a camaraderie among us, uh, that we're going to be doing the, the one anothering of the New Testament. Several times throughout the New Testament, we see those words one another uh, even a couple times in this passage back up in verse 10 be devoted to one another uh, here this next verse be of the same mind towards one another there are several of those throughout the new testament and what those do is they indicate to us is that the christian life is not something that we live on our own it's not just me and my bible in the woods right uh, a lot of people have that mentality too many people have that mentality and that's not how christianity is meant to be christianity is meant to be done together so that we can rejoice with those who rejoice so we can weep with those who weep and if we are truly going to rejoice with those who rejoice this requires uh, a lot of humility a lot of self-abasement this requires uh, an absence of jealousy Because, again, that's our natural tendency. That's where our flesh takes us. That's where our heart takes us. That something good happened to so-and-so. And, And man, I wish that happened to me. Man, look at that. Look at that car. Look at that uh, perfect marriage or child or job or whatever it is. And our natural tendency is to be jealous. But instead, we're told we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, And we are to weep with those who weep. Um, Again... We've referenced Philippians 2-3 several times in the last few weeks because it's just here, right? The same author of Romans wrote Philippians, uh, which says that we are to uh, love our neighbors as ourselves. We were have the same mind in us. It was in Christ Jesus, who, though he uh, was equal with God, he didn't consider equality with God and thing to be grasped. But even before that, um, talking about how we are to... Um, do nothing from selfishness or empty deceit but with humility of mind we are to regard regard one another as more important than ourselves that's not natural to us right we are number one in our lives so that's where we're told to love others as we love ourselves uh first corinthians 7 love your wife as you love yourself um love your husband as you love yourself Um, it's not natural to us but it's what we're called to do and once again we have the perfect example in christ who has done that for us um, will somebody read us that passage from 1 Corinthians 12 that talks about how members who suffer must suffer together? All right. All right. Thank you. Uh, yes, please. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, And on those parts of the body that became less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater love which are more profitable parts do not require but god has so important, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another if one member suffers all suffer together if one member is honored all rejoice together all right so again there we see that there's no division within the body all suffer together all rejoice or honor together that we are truly one. The fact that Paul uses this example, this illustration of the body so often uh, shows us that it, it matters, right? You hammer your thumb and your whole body is in pain. Even though it doesn't make sense, it should be isolated to that one area. That's not how God has designed the human body. That's not how God has designed the church. If one member of the church is hurting, then we are all hurting together. And even if we are not, walking the, the Christian life, even if we're not doing church the way that it's meant to be done, uh, that's a, a true statement. Even if somebody is off in the corner and they're hurting, them hurting and being absent from the church is affecting the, the whole of the local body. When we're told to weep with those who weep, uh, we're seeing this idea of uh, really consoling one another and sympathizing with one another to Um, to really feel that pain with them, to be there with them in the midst of that pain, not to let them do it off by themselves. Now, with this whole COVID thing that we've been having, um, I've been hearing this phrase a lot that we're, we're all in this together, right? And I've grown to really despise that phrase because I think it's just so trite and empty and fake, and it doesn't really... Uh, get to the heart issue. Even if somebody is suffering, um, just saying we're in this together doesn't really offer any condolence. It doesn't sympathize with them. It's just saying, yeah, this is something that everybody else is going through, so kind of suck it up, right? Um, that should not be the heart and the mentality of the church. We should truly be in this together, not in the weird COVID sense, but in the true biblical sense that when somebody is suffering, we need to suffer together. When somebody is weeping, we need to weep together. And once again, all this presupposes that we are intimately involved in one another's lives. We are rubbing shoulders with one another, uh, knowing what's going on in the lives of the different members of the body. Um, Moving on to verse 16. Paul says, to be of the same mind toward one another different translations will say to live in harmony with one another Uh, we are to not be impartial towards one another but uh, be unified have the same thought same mind same attitude with one another Uh, again we see this thought so clearly in Ephesians notice that a lot of these passages that I'm uh, citing are passages that Paul again has written so Ephesians 4 1 through 6 will somebody grab that for us talk about that unity that we have, with one body, one church. One six. Yes, please. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, I, a prisoner, preserve the Lord, beg you to be the life worthy of yourself, sorry. worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make him allowance for other's claws because of your love make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit finding yourselves together with peace for there is one body one spirit just as you have been called to one glorious who whole for the future there is one Lord one faith one baptism one God and Father of all who is over all in all and living through all All right. Amen. Uh, Yeah, again, we see that unity. There is one that we have this oneness within the spirit. So no matter how many different ways we might be divided um, politically and uh, economically or, you know, we have so many different backgrounds and so many different uh, preferences and so many different hobbies and. we come from all different walks of life and yet in the spirit we are united we are all one in christ he is the one who brings us together who offers us that unity Um, not like the corinthians who argued with one another and said well i'm of paul i'm of Apollos, i'm of cephas we are to be one and we are to be one of christ of the same mind in harmony with one another and then paul gives three uh related admonitions about how we're to do this so be of the same mind towards one another. He gives two negative admonitions and one positive. He says, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. So there's our positive admonishment, what we are to do. And then another negative uh, related to not being haughty, he says, do not be wise in your own estimation. So again, do not be haughty in mind. And again, if we have the same mindset that paul had when he was writing ephesians 4 that we are all one in christ then we should absolutely have this understanding that we ought not to be haughty because we ought to treat one another equally realizing that we are equal in christ That he has taken and adopted each one of us as his own that he has um, taken us out of our sin out of the the death of our natural man and he has given us new life not just to me but to every member of his church he has done that and that ought to affect my mindset to realize well I'm not any better than they are I was in the same place that they are and I've only been brought to where I am because of Christ apart from myself Uh, same thought that we have in James 4 when he says um, that uh, pride comes before the fall right that God is opposed to the proud but he gives grace to the humble Um, who's got that passage in Psalm 101, 4, 5. In my Bible years ago, I wrote somebody's name next to that verse in my Bible. And when I went there uh, this last week, uh, I just found it funny that I had put somebody's name there because it talks about not being uh, associated with them and not letting that haughtiness rule in your heart and how it can affect your heart. And we all ought to strive not to have our names written in somebody's Bible next to verses like that. Um, Perhaps I shouldn't have done that, but uh, yeah. Who's got that verse for us? Psalm 101, 4, and 5. Jerry, all right. Wow. All right. And this is David writing. Um, he was um, convincing himself in his own heart that he was going to live a life set apart for the Lord. I want to go back just a little bit more. Um, in verse two, he says, I will walk within the house, within my house, in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Uh, man, that's a great verse for you to memorize if you haven't. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. So again, David is uh, convinced that he's going to live a life set apart, that he is going to be holy as unto the Lord as the Lord is holy. And he goes on, he talks about how others who are slanderous, who are haughty, um, who are arrogant are going to have a negative effect on him. So he needs to distance himself from them so that he could be, again, holy as unto the Lord not living haughty in mind. But again, um, this second aspect that Paul gives us back in Romans 12 is a positive aspect that we are to associate with the lowly. And we got several verses there that we can go through. Um, we can grab Deuteronomy 15 for us. we so got Deuteronomy 15. You're no, you're good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, and then Proverbs 5. We can get that? Jeremy? Uh, Proverbs 5, 21 and 22. And then James 2, 1 through 4. We've got to go there. All right. I forgot your name. I just met you a little while ago. Sarah. Okay. Sarah, whenever you're ready. Alright, and this is again established in the law, so a long time ago, uh, God right off the bat he was saying, we need to care for those who are less fortunate, care for the needs and provide for the needs of the poor man, and then he goes on the following verses and he talks about, uh, well don't consider when the seventh year is going to come the seventh year, every seventh year they would uh, forgive debt and uh, if you're just one or two years away from that and you gave to somebody then you're likely to be out that money um, but going back to Luke 6, uh, we're told that if we're going to lend to somebody, we need to do it with the mindset that it's a gift. It's not ours, but it belongs to the Lord. So that's the kind of mindset we're to have um, in associating with the lowly. Jeremy, you got Proverbs 5 22. he will be held with the courts of his sin. Uh, why don't you try 25, 21, and 22? Maybe I wrote down the wrong passage on that. Not 15. Uh, let's try 25 first. <laughs> if your enemy is hungry, there give him go. food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord all right, and we see that verse quoted down here just a little bit in our, our passage uh, to care for the needs of um, those who are in need, the needy, the poor. And then, of course, I think the um, greatest passage for this is in James 2, where James talks about not showing favoritism. Um, who's got that, James 2? also comes a poor man in very clothes and you pay pinch special attention to the one who is wearing fine clothes and say to the poor man you stand over there or sit down by my footstool you have not have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives all right now yeah, that is again the ideal passage for associating with the lowly because these guys were not associating with the lowly they were setting them off over in the corner and giving a a nice prominent seat to the rich man which isn't bad but if you're going to do that for one man you should do it for another, you shouldn't show favoritism God doesn't show favoritism we ought to uh, exemplify ourselves after him so we're told to um, be of the same mind towards one another by not being haughty in mind by associating with the lowly And then again, he kind of goes back to that same thought before when he says, do not be wise in your own estimation. Same kind of thought as not being haughty in mind. So he's just being emphatic here, showing the real importance of this, saying, do not forget not to be haughty in your mind. Don't lift up your own understanding because this is so first nature. Everybody thinks that they are right, that they have it all figured out. Um, This is just the way of man, right? So um, I want to go through several of these verses here in the book of Proverbs. So let's turn to Proverbs together, keeping a a finger in Romans, which I have not done. My finger is in James, but uh, going to the book of Proverbs. We'll just look at several uh, short little Proverbs here that deal with this um, idea of speech and pride and how we can be be proud, especially in our speech and how we need to guard ourselves against that. So Proverbs 10 verse 8 says, the wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. Um, How closely associated we see um, being wise at our own estimation with just babbling and going on and on. um, Which is why after talking about um, loving on the, the lowly and not showing favoritism in James chapter 2, James goes on James chapter 3 to talk about the tongue and how it is difficult for a man to tame the tongue. Uh, jumping forward a little bit, Proverbs fifteen twenty two says that without consolation, plants are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. So again, having this... Humility of mind to realize we don't have it all figured out. That where there are many counselors there is wisdom and we need to surround ourselves with a multitude of counselors because we don't have it figured out. We need to seek the wisdom that God has given us within his church. And Proverbs 2018. Somebody got that one. Alright. Alright. So again, same kind of thought to uh, consult when you're making plans, especially when you're making large plans, right? I don't think that any one of us is going to be preparing war or going out to war anytime soon, but I think we can extract the principle that when we're going to make big, important decisions, we need to consult with other people, other Christians, wise believers, and ask for input and ask for advice. Uh, We don't want to make especially big decisions rashly by ourselves. And then Lastly, Proverbs 27, 2. Somebody got 27, 2? Cool. Let another praise you and not your own mouth a stranger and not your own lips. All right. That is good advice, which is not always easy to take, right? Uh, remember Jesus, when he was talking about the parable of the the dinner guests. He said, well don't go sit up at the front and exalt yourself because then you might be told, well somebody else is more importance so here, go take the last seat. He said rather sit at the back and then uh, let the lips of somebody else praise you or lift you up and uh, honor you and lift you higher in the, the eyes of man. We are not to exalt ourselves, we are to humble ourselves. The first will be last and the last shall be first. And again, there is no greater example of this than Christ himself. Any other Thoughts on these verses up to verse 17 in Romans chapter 12. Jerry's smiling like he's got too many thoughts to share. Mm -hmm. Talk about seeking wisdom from counselors. Jerry's a good man to do that. Talk about humility. He's shaking his head. (laughs) All right. I'm glad that we have men like you around here. It's good. All right. Uh, continuing on. Romans chapter 12, uh, picking up in verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone, but respect what is right in the sight of all men. And this is concept of not paying back evil for evil. We're going to get into that a little bit more next week. Uh, but just remember that we're not called to exercise justice. That is not something that God has given to us. He has given that to uh, governments. And he has called us to show mercy to others. Next week we're going to be getting into Romans 13. And we'll see that uh, a little bit more. We'll look into that um, more in depth. Uh, but along those lines, somebody have 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 talk about showing mercy. All right. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, 5. Yes, please. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Amen. So again, we kind of saw this in 1 Peter 2, where we have this purpose to suffer just as Christ has suffered. Uh, Here we see that... God has given us this ability to comfort others because he has comforted us with the comfort that he has. Remember, he is our sympathetic high priest who can relate with us in all areas, right? He was just like we are yet without sin, and he's able to comfort us so that we can comfort others in return. Now this phrase here at the end of verse 17, to respect what is right in the sight of all men. uh, We need to be careful how we understand that because if we apply our worldly understanding of what all men think is right today to this verse and we're going to be running off in all different kinds of areas trying to please men uh we're not called to please men remember the the fear of man is a snare it's a trap so we're not trying to fear men but we want to do what is right or honorable or respectable in their eyes this is a requirement for elders in first timothy three that we are to have a good reputation even with outsiders Even though our standard isn't the standard that outsiders have, we ought to not be seen as somebody who is uh, a cheat or somebody who is dishonorable or unrespectable, who is wrong by outsiders. Uh, If we're doing this, this doesn't mean that there is no room for confrontation. Again, we can take this verse we can understand it in all kinds of wrong ways so just because we want to be seen as right or honorable by outsiders doesn't mean that we shouldn't confront them Uh, remember a couple weeks ago we were looking at the uh, the fruits of the spirit or the the spiritual gifts rather and in verse 8 we saw that um, to those who exhort we talked about how that word for exhorting also means to encourage or to comfort. So oftentimes it is encouraging and comforting and necessary to exhort somebody, to point out where they are wrong. This is an absolute necessity. We can't um, negotiate on truth just because we want to be viewed as right by outsiders. Another proverb in Proverbs 27, it says that faithful are the wounds of an enemy. Or faithful are the wounds of a friend, and uh, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So we don't want to seek those kisses from an enemy. We don't want to please men just for the sake of pleasing men, uh, because people talk, right? And truth sometimes hurts, and it snaps and it bites, but we need to be on the side of truth. And by way of illustration, I want to look at uh, the Apostle Paul in Acts 19, And we see that he had a good reputation with outsiders. So in Acts chapter 19, um, and kind of going back to verse 9, it says that when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way of the, the Christians before the people, he withdrew from them and he took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So... He had some beef with people and he went off and he took those who were willing to listen and he was teaching them daily in this school of Tyrannus. Verse 10 says that this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And he stayed there even longer than that. He was teaching the gospel, he was preaching. Um, There were people there who disagreed with him but he was still uh, getting along fairly civilly with them. And then let's look down at verse 31. And we see, so this is when uh, a big crowd was rising up and uh, they were upset because he wasn't, uh, or the Christians that he was with, they weren't giving honor to uh, the great Artemis of the Ephesians, to Diana, to this idol that they had in their city and in verse 31 it says also some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater so these people who were coming to him uh, they weren't believers they weren't on his side they were political religious officials who were his friends and they were telling him you need to stay out of there so that you don't get hurt or beaten or killed verse 32 says so that some of them were shouting one thing and some another for the assembly was in confusion and the majority majority did not know for what reason they had come together this was just a big mob a big crowd a riot And some of the crowd concluded that it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward. And having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from all of them. And they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk, who uh, was likely one of these men, one of these Asiarchs, and not a believer, he said, Men of Ephesus, what... Man is there, after all who does not know that the city of Ephesus is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis of the image that fell down from heaven. So since these facts are undeniable, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. And so we see unfold that Paul's friends who are not believers came to his defense. They told him first of all, you don't want to go out there. They're they're just gonna hurt you. They're out for blood. They went out there and they calmed down the crowd. These guys who were outside of the church had a respect and an honor for Paul. Uh, they didn't agree with what he was saying. He was actively preaching against what they were believing, but they still were uh, on good terms. So that's kind of way that we should respect what is right or honorable in the sight of all men, that we should seek to have a good reputation with those who are outside of the church. And then in verse 18... <coughs> Uh, we find this great verse um, where we're told to be at peace with all men, where we're told um, that we're to seek this peace. But there are a couple of conditions that Paul includes here. What does he include as a condition for seeking peace with all men in verse 18? If it's possible. Yes, if it's possible. Realm of possibility. Yep. What else? What's the other condition we see there? All right. Amen. So look into yourself, right? So far as it depends on you. So... I love this verse because it tells us that first of all, it's not always possible. So that's a good thing to realize that this peace is not always a possibility. Jesus came to bring a sword, right? To divide a house, a son against his father, daughter against his mother, um, her mother. Um, And that it's not just all about peace. Even though Jesus is the most peaceful of all people, he realizes that um, there are times when There is division necessary. Christ came to divide. He was a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And uh, again, we can't compromise truth for the sake of unity with those whom we should not be unified with. And then... Uh, as you mentioned, Jerry, he talks about how, as far as it depends on you, so we need to look at ourselves. We can't control other people and their ability to reconcile to be at peace with us. But as far as it depends on us, that is our goal to be at peace with all men. Does somebody have that passage in First Peter ready. First Peter three eight and nine. all right then in verse 19 uh we'll move along rather quickly here he kind of reiterates the same point that he had back in 17 never to pay back evil for evil to anyone here in 19 he says never take your own revenge beloved but leave room for the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord now uh especially with the the following verses and the contents of the following verses, we need to realize that um, we live in a, a weird time in life, right, where our world wants justice right now. Uh, we have this whole social justice movement going on where they're seeking to make things right today, uh, seeking reparations, seeking um, <coughs> to have an end to death entirely as we know it, because we want to what is right today. Uh, That's not going to happen today. We're promised that God will make things right someday, that there will be justice (laughs) given out someday. But that day is not today. That's not something that um, is within our grasp or ability to be able to do. However, we're told to um, not take vengeance and to leave it in the hands of God, to trust God with justice and wrath put a couple of references down there John 5 talks about how Jesus has been given the uh, the oversight for judgment how he is one who is going to judge in the last day Uh, we're going to be resurrected either to everlasting life or everlasting death and we're going to sit before the, the throne room of judgment um Matthew 12:36 says that every man will give an account before the Lord for every idle word that we utter so everything that happens now even to the, the idle empty words that we utter that's going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ and so while we can look and we can recognize okay things in this world aren't right and that's not okay that's, that's wrong that is unjust uh, we can take solace in the fact that God is one who's going to one day make it right now, as I said, verses 20 and 21, or 20 rather, is a quote from uh, Proverbs 25, 21 and 22, uh, where it says, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Uh, this is speaking of returning hate with love, which results in the ultimate shame of the individual who you are showing this love to. Uh, John MacArthur says in his commentary, this refers to an ancient Egyptian custom in which a person who wanted to show public contrition carried a pan of burning coals on his head. The coals represented the burning pain of his shame and guilt. When believers lovingly help their enemies, it should bring shame to such people Mm -hmm. for their hate and animosity. So that's what it's talking about when it's talking about Uh, Putting burning coals on their head, uh, that it will result in shame and uh, guilt. However, this shouldn't be our motivation, our desire in loving other people. I've heard so many people say, uh, well, you know, if you really want to get back at them, if you really want to hurt them, what you'll do is you'll love them, because that's what the Bible says. Uh, That's not the attitude that we're to have. This will be the the outcome, but we're not to do it to hurt or to harm them, Um, but out of a spirit of love for other people. And then verse 21, do not overcome evil, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This harkens back to, again, verses one and two, that we should not be conformed to the world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have been made new by Christ. We have been regenerated. We've been given new life, new birth. um, And therefore, we ought to overcome evil with good. Now, closing out, um, I just want to go back to Romans 5. And in Romans 5, 6 through 8, Paul told us that, he said, for it was while we were still helpless at the right time that Christ died for the ungodly. Rarely will anybody die for a righteous man, though for a good man, perhaps somebody might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is, just as he is the, the perfect example in suffering without reviling, uh, he is the, the perfect example in loving our enemies because we were enemies of God. While we were still enemies of God, uh, Christ died for the ungodly. Again, we don't come to God by, by fixing up our life. We don't come to God by following the law, but we come to God by faith. And then he sanctifies us and he enables us to live the, the perfect law of liberty. He enables us to love our enemies, to do these things that Paul is outlining in this uh, practical application section of his book. And. If we really want to do these things well, we would do well to prepare our hearts beforehand, before we're in these different situations, before somebody is actually persecuting us, before somebody finds opportunity to weep, or before somebody finds an occasion for conflict or division or for showing favoritism. If we set our mind on doing these things ahead of time, on living out our Christian life, in this way that that Paul lays out for us ahead of time we're going to be much more prepared to to honor him and to bless those who persecute you to bless and not curse to not be overcome by evil but to overcome evil with good Uh, we have maybe one or two minutes for any thoughts or questions before we wrap up Romans chapter 12 any thoughts or questions? That'll give us a, an attitude of compassion and love and yeah. All right. Well, like I said, next week we're going to be in Romans 13. Romans 13 is a heavy chapter and it's been a chapter of a lot of talk recently. So you do well to read through that chapter before you come next week. And uh, it'll be a, a good study. We'll spend a few weeks in Romans 13.